0: You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. As uh, Pastor Julie mentioned, uh, my name is Greg. I am one of the pastors over there at the Gates Church, and um, we are so grateful that we get to be part of this service as well. Not only because it does end with a free barbecue afterwards, which is (laughs) pretty awesome, I'm looking forward to that, but but also because a service like this really deeply reflects what Jesus is all about uh, in that he pursues us, he meets us where we're at, he receives sinners and eats with them. And uh, I've experienced this personally as well, That's why I'm standing up here this morning. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm a pastor. Because over 20 years ago, God invaded my life through the grace of Jesus Christ. And uh, I've never been the same since. Um, In a good way. In an amazing way. And, And on that note, I want to just acknowledge again how Streets Alive reflects this. Pretty much every day as well, as they go out and they meet people exactly where they're at. No judgment. They meet them where they're at with food, with clothes, with hope, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? All because they believe rightly that every person matters. Every face has a story. No one is too far gone. Every person deserves to be loved. So let's just give streets all have a hand um, just for what they, what they do. Um, it's it's incredible. It's so much work. They put so much into it. Uh, it's amazing. And, and again, I love that because this is precisely how God pursues us and how God loves us. And that's what I want to get into and talk about this morning. Just that character of God and how and how He just loves us unconditionally. But first, I just want to set it up with a with a true story about my childhood. And I've told the story before. to so people at the gate, if, if you're here this morning. Um, You've heard this story before, so bear with me, but uh, it's an embarrassing story about me, so you guys will enjoy it anyways the second time around. So when, when I was nine years old, uh, it, was a, it was a fall afternoon, I was hanging out with a friend of mine in our neighborhood We grew up on the west side, and uh, there was a house that was being built in our neighborhood, and, and for some reason, my friend and I decided that we, we really wanted to get on the front porch, the front deck of this house that was being built. Uh, The only problem with this idea was that the front yard was just this big mud pit because they hadn't laid the sod yet, and it had been raining for days. It had been raining that morning. So it was just this big mud pit. But we really wanted to get on this deck, and I don't know why. We just really wanted to get there. And so to overcome this muddy obstacle in our path, we we found these two-by-fours that were lying around the construction site, and we we grabbed them, and we, we laid them down in the mud pit to get to the deck. So, so once the boards were laid down, we started walking across, you know, balancing across these two by fours, trying not to fall in the mud to get our new school clothes dirty, right? Um, and everything was going well. Everything was going well. But then of course the boards, they started to sink into the mud. And, and that's when my feelings of regret started to kick in. And long story short, it wasn't long until my friend who was in front of me just slipped, boom, right into the mud just completely a mess instantly and, and I mistakenly tried to reach out to help him but uh, that, that caused me to lose my footing and so I had, to, I had to adjust and I stepped my left foot into the mud and then and then that was another mistake because as I tried to move I found that my foot was stuck, it was just suctioned into the goop and so I just pulled, pulled harder and my foot just came right out of my shoe and as I was standing there Balancing on one foot on this slippery, muddy board. I remember contemplating all my life's decisions and wondering how I'd gotten myself into this pickle. And then the inevitable happened, I slipped as well. Right into the mud. Right into that evil, cold goop. It did not feel good. Mud. Mud all over my new school clothes, all over me. My life was over, I thought to myself. My mom is going to kill me, yeah. right? Anyways, we ended up kind of arm, army crawling through the mud to the sidewalk. I had my shoe in my hand, and then we both got up and, and slowly headed back towards our homes, mm-hmm. like dead men walking to the gallows, really <laughs> covered in this thick red mud, shivering in the cold autumn air with our, our shoulders just hanging down, right, just carrying the weight of that embarrassment and, and shame, and mostly just dreading, dreading the reaction and, and the punishment that our parents would, would hand out to us. Needless to say, the walk home felt like an eternity, but yet at the same time, not long enough. And, and the reason I tell that story is because I think, I think it's true that a lot of us seem to think like this. When it comes to how we approach God as well, right? We think that God's going to be angry at us. That the moment he opens the door and sees us standing there and, and covered in our mud and our sin and our brokenness, right? That, that he's going to be disappointed in us or that he's going to lash out at us or that he's going to strike us down with a lightning bolt or something like that, right? Like he's this angry principal just waiting in his office to suspend us or like a bitter dad who's always ashamed and never proud of us or like the photo raider guy, photo Radar right? guy whose only purpose right, is to catch us so that he can give us a ticket. Right? Isn't that how we think of God sometimes? There was uh, Jeremy Treat, uh, author, he's an author, he writes this. He says, many people believe God's a grumpy old man who has to get his way. And that when he doesn't, he will shame, guilt, and scare people to get them in line. Although most wouldn't say it out loud, but deep down, even many believers think of god as the god who is out to get me that, that he is just waiting for us to mess up so he can meet his divine quota for punishing sin perhaps this comes from a particular teaching or from a bad experience with a church or a christian but either way this is how many functionally view god so i just want to ask you know you don't have to say it out loud but is this how you view god and maybe not theologically, but in your heart and the way you act around God. Is this how you view God? Or, or better yet, how do you think that God views us? Right? I remember as I walked home that day, covered in mud, my clothes wrecked, along with my life, so I thought. I, I, was, I was imagining all the ways that, that my mom would punish me and yell at me. But you know what? The opposite occurred. She was definitely surprised and shocked. Maybe disappointed that all well, my clothes were wrecked. Understandably so, right? But but mostly I remember her, her motherly compassion in that moment and, and her relief that I wasn't injured or anything like that. And she didn't want me to get sick, and so instead of yelling at me, she, she immediately helped me remove my dirty clothes. She brought me in out of the cold. And then, of course, gave me a nice hot bath so I could get cleaned up and warmed up. In that moment, that that, that was the best bath ever in that moment. And so so I want to ask this morning, how many of us see God doing that for us and loving us like that? Not as this angry God that that wants to punish us, but rather one with compassion and mercy. And I think sometimes this concept can can be hard for us to grasp, especially for those of us that feel like we're unworthy or feel like we're unlovable but the truth is that God rejoices over us rejoices over you Zephaniah 3:17 from the Old Testament says the Lord your God is in your midst he is here a warrior bringing victory and he will create calm with his love he will rejoice over you with singing he will rejoice over you with singing and, and Jesus, in one of his famous parables, he actually tells us that it's even better than that. In fact, he tells us that the moment when we turn to God, that, that very moment, even with all our, our sin and shame and dirt and regrets, he not only welcomes us into his arms and gives us clean new clothes, but that he also throws a party in our honor. How many of us like a party? Do we think of God as someone who throws a party? Because he does. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn with me now to Luke fifteen eleven twenty four. 24. Luke fifteen eleven to 24. This is Jesus speaking a parable. And it says this, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. And soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. And when he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father to do that. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him and kissed him. And then his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Right? He was lost and is found. He was dead but is now alive. It's time to celebrate. It's time to throw a party. And, and this is the, the affection and compassion that God has for us when we come to know Him. Let's go through the story a little more closely though so we understand what's going on. So we, Again, we have this younger son. He's this Jewish man. And he takes his share of the family inheritance. And he just, he just pieces out, right? He just, he just ditches his father and his family business. And we have to understand that this is one of the greatest insults of the day. Not only an insult to his father, but, but an insult to the whole community. The whole community. But this younger son, he doesn't care, right? He, he's not ever coming back. They're, they're dead to him and he to them. He doesn't care. And so he takes it all, all that money, all that wealth. And then he to some, moves to some ritzy neighborhood, right? And he starts living the high life fine wines, expensive clothes, drugs, prostitutes, parties. Right? He's he's loving the freedom of just getting to do whatever he wants. Which by the way is is basically our current culture's perceived definition of happiness, isn't it? Autonomy we have this idea that, that God, sometimes a God of Christianity or, or the church is trying to strip us of all our happiness and our joy and our, and our freedom with all these religious rules that we have to follow or whatever. So we, we take our inheritance and we just run off to go live the way we want. As uh, author Ryan, Joshua Ryan Butler writes, this is our story, this prodigal son, this is our story. We want to rule the world without God. We want to live our lives in independence rather than communion. So we snatched the billions and we bolted for the distant land, grabbing what we could to live without him. But beyond the horizon lies destruction. We have squandered dad's generosity on ourselves. So of course, when we squander our wealth, rock bottom comes swiftly, right? One day it's the high life and the next the younger son's credit card bounces and he's left with nothing, right? Forced, Forced to take a job for a gentile pig farmer. And I'm not sure if there's anything worse than for a Jew to be working on a pig farm. Especially when, when he's feeding these pigs more than he even gets to eat. But that's all he has going for him, right? He has no money, no food, no friends, no family. He smells like pigs. This is the complete opposite of kosher, right? He's, he's pretty much sunken the lowest you could go. He's hit rock bottom. His sin and his selfishness have left him... Miring in the mud of a pig pen, so his only option left, since he's feeling unworthy to be called a son, is to grovel back to his dad in hopes to get a job as a servant. And so that's what he does. He heads home. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. He's he's guilt-ridden. He's dirty. He smells like excrement. But he's ready to repent and apologize in the hopes of just getting a sliver, a sliver of forgiveness. And of course, he's probably expecting some sort of harsh but but totally justified punishment to come his way as well. But this is when the beautifully unthinkable thing happens. Verse 20 again. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. And his father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. What this means is that the father was actually waiting for him. Looking out for his return, hoping and and longing for it. And then as soon as his son came up over the horizon, he was moved with with such a deep compassion and love that he ran out to meet him. And even though his son probably smelled like pig excrement and, and was covered in mud and wore ragged clothes, he hugged him. And he kissed him. See, it doesn't matter what condition the son was in. He met him where he was at, and he loved him. What Jesus is telling us here is that God, the Father, is also waiting for us. Longing for us to turn from our sin and look to him. He's, He's waiting for us to turn to him, and when we do, it doesn't matter what condition we're in. We'll find that he's already running to us to receive us and to love us. But the story even gets better because then the father's compassion and love turns to rejoicing, right? Almost as if he's ignoring his, his son's attempt to confess and repent. His son's like, Father, I've sinned against you. And he's like, shut up, servants, get... get. Get some clothes. Get some new clothes on him. Get some new sandals on him. Put a ring on his finger. And then he orders the servants to kill the the fattened calf. And that's not a cheap thing back then. And then he throws a huge party for him. Food, music, dancing, and singing. Because his son is home once again. He was dead to them, but is now alive. Just imagine how you'd feel in that moment, if you were the prodigal son in that moment. If it was me, I'd be I'd be in a state of awe and, and shock, but with relief as well. But I'd be like, wait a minute, I don't I don't deserve a party. What's going on? I deserve a punishment for for my insolence, not not a feast. What's going on, right? Yet despite what what he might have deserved, the father welcomed him not with guilt and judgment, but forgiveness and compassion. He melted his son's anxiety and guilt away with that single moment of. of Joyful affection. He stripped away any of his son's feelings of worth, worthlessness and shame by clothing him and throwing a party in his honor. And again, this is the way God receives us and loves us and delights in us when we turn to him. But again, I bet many of us here this morning, though, for whatever reason, are believing the lie that we're unlovable. That that there's no way that that God could delight in you. Maybe because of something you've done or are doing. Or maybe because of something said to you. Or something done to you. Maybe we feel we're too small or or insignificant to be loved. Or too ugly or not accomplished enough. Or too poor or too sinful or too guilty or ashamed or too addicted. Or feeling unvalued because maybe no one notices you. So why would God notice you? We think God doesn't love me. God can't love me. He's angry with me. I'm too far gone. But remember, so was the youngest son in the story. He was the lowest he could go. The dirtiest you could get. Emotionally, socially, mentally, physically, and spiritually. The lowest you could go. But that's Jesus' point. That despite his unworthiness, despite what he'd done, as soon as he set his face toward home, his father raised him up to the place of highest honor. Dr. Jack Deer puts it so simply when he says, many in the church today are convinced God is angry with his people, but they have no idea how crazy he is about them. God is crazy about each of you. Yes, even with your imperfections and mistakes, God is crazy about you. He's not waiting to punish you. He's not waiting to shame you for your sin. He's waiting to run out to you and rejoice over you. He desires it so much that Jesus, the Son of God, came to us in the flesh. And willingly took that punishment for our sin upon himself. He took our brokenness and shame at the cross. And three days later, he conquered the power of death. also that we could have the means to turn to God and experience his grace and love. Just like the prodigal son got to do with his father. Yes. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, some people get it all wrong. We get it backwards. Or we think we have to get all clean and get all right and good before we can approach God. But no. It's the other way around. He comes to us as we are, while we're still sinners, so that He can clean us up. And that's what Jesus did and does for us. You see, Jesus is the embodiment of the Father running to us. Meeting us where we're at. In our sin, he came to us to free us, to save us. And now through him, our, our dirty, muddy rags of, of sin and brokenness are removed. And in their place, we're clothed in Jesus' goodness, his righteousness. Because Jesus has won the victory. God is partying and he's singing over us. Think of it like this. Right right after Jesus was baptized, it says in Matthew 3, 7, And behold, a voice from heaven said, and this is the Lord, said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And you know what happens when we, when we repent and believe in the name of Jesus? This is what happens. God sees us the same way He sees Jesus. In other words, this, that same loving voice from heaven sings the same declaration over us over you. This is my child with whom I am well pleased. Make no mistake, God delights in you, in each one of you. Sam Storm says, God loves us with with all our faults and failures, with all the secret sins no one knows about. In fact, he rejoices over us so much that he breaks out in inexpressible joy and song as he thinks about us. The Aaronic Ironic thing about all of this, like I, I mentioned earlier, is that like the prodigal son, we, we tend to th- act or think like we have to run away from God or the, or the church to find happiness or freedom or satisfaction. And like the prodigal son, we may find bits and pieces of it here and there for a while. But the reality is, is that we'll only know lasting joy and freedom and satisfaction when we turn to God. When we experience His love and grace and unabashed love for us. So how do we respond to a God who rejoices and sings over us? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 21 when He says, Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Turn to Him today. And come as you are. Again, you don't have to be ashamed of what God will think of us. We don't have to fear judgment or punishment. It doesn't matter how unworthy or any the other hand worthy you think you are. We've all sinned. We all fall short. We're all covered in mud. But the good news is that Jesus has already paid the price in full. He's already... Cleaned us because God desires for you to know him, to experience his grace and love, to experience his freedom. He wants to rejoice over you as his child. So take this opportunity while you have it. If you never have before, repent and believe by faith in Jesus In his name this morning. Turn to him. Surrender your life to him and enter into the joy and delight of the God who loves you and rejoices over you. As Jesus proclaimed in Luke 15:7. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. God wants that to be you today. God wants that to be you today. He wants to rejoice over you today.